Well, good morning. Christmas week. Wow, hard to believe, isn't it? More so, this is my final message in our 51-week series, Journey Through the New Testament, right? Uh, it's just hard to fathom. In fact, uh, this is your uh, final uh, week of reading coming up, and I'm never again, I meant to bring it with me, I'm never again going to mention the bookmark and the seat back in front of you. You don't have to hear that anymore, at least not till the next series. We do that anyway. Uh, but truly, we, we began this series 351 days ago today. Uh, and it just seems like yesterday, but I've had so many incredible just testimonies of different people. Uh, man, the pastor, this is the first time I've ever read through the New Testament, or I haven't done it in a long time. I've never stuck with a reading plan, and I know it's been a blessing to so many. It certainly has uh, for me. But not only is this my final message um, in our New Testament series, but also my final message in Revelation, right? And, and I know, hey, the last couple of weeks in particular, it's like drinking from a fire hose, isn't it? I mean, we just had all this coming at us, right? Well, I mean, you know, mouth wide open, trying to get all we can of it. Uh, and probably even with your reading as you uh, follow along as well. Uh, but I am so thankful uh, that we have had these three weeks in it, and especially in this Christmas season for this great reminder. We'll do just a, a quick summary here, kind of uh, get us caught back up, and especially if you've been in and out a little bit during these series the last couple of weeks. Uh, first of all, week one, as we opened up Revelation two weeks ago, uh, I shared that, that, first of all, a lot of the ways that people approach this book uh, is one of either uh, intrigue uh, or intimidation. Right? Like we're just fascinated by it. Oh, just want to gobble it up, learn every little detail. What's every little thing mean? And, you know, read all I can. I'm just, I'm intrigued. I'm fascinated by it. Or, man, I am intimidated by that. That's just weird stuff right there. I, I, can't, I can't go there, right? I just, I don't understand it, right? And probably the majority of us kind of entered into this time and this study with a little combination of both. I'm intrigued and I'm intimidated. That is probably a good place to be. But let's remember that it, it was a book just like the rest uh, in the New Testament, just like 65 others. It was written to seven actual churches in seven actual cities in Asia Minor, right? It was also written during some of the most uh, intense time of persecution for Christianity uh, that the world has ever known. And likely ever will. I mean, it was, it was, it was an incredible uh, time in history that, that, that John had this revelation and, and penned this. It, it was during this time that, 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 that Christians during persecution were literally being fed to wild beasts for gain. And it was during this time where, where Christians not only would be, uh, would be captured, maybe taken out of their home, possibly beaten or arrested, not even just killed, but, but they would literally take some and they would tie them to poles douse them with oil, and light them on fire for what was known as a Christian candlestick during events and parties. Can you imagine what was that? In fact, when John had this revelation while he was uh, exiled to the Isle of Patmos, he, he was there for a reason. They tried to kill him, put him in a cauldron of, of boiling, of, of hot oil, and tried to boil him or deep fry him in the south to death. And it didn't work. And, and they took him out because God had a plan for the rest of his life for this book of Revelation. And so they, they took him out and exiled him to slave labor on this isle of Patmos. And yet, with, with, with the intensity, with, with the depth of persecution that the church was facing in this moment in history, not even they were in the actual final days. And you, can you imagine being a Christian in those times and thinking, surely... <laughs> Like, surely this, Jesus is coming now, right? I mean, with everything going on, surely now. And yet they weren't. 
You think of, of, of the Jewish people in the midst of, of Holocaust and thinking, surely this is the end of times. And yet it wasn't. You know, I know here in America, I kind of pick at that, but we got to that place where we couldn't get our hand sanitizer during COVID. And yet, <laughs> that was not the final days either. The truth is, we don't know when that time will come. What we do know is that from the ascension until his second coming, we're living in those final days. Right? Uh, Jesus came. That's why we celebrate Christmas. He came in that manger. But he came with a plan and a purpose. And it was to die on that cross. And he did just that. He, he died on the cross. He was laid in the tomb. Three days later, he rose again. He showed himself to, to multitudes. And eventually, before he ascended back to heaven, he gave the marching orders to the church to, to go and to share the good news, the gospel, with everyone. And then he ascended back into glory. And what First Thessalonians tells us, he's going there to prepare a place for us. And from the moment he ascended to the time when he descends and comes again, we're in those final days. And so it's a true statement to say, yes, we, we are all living in the final times. But we don't know exactly when. And we don't know who that Antichrist will be. We don't know what that picture is going to look like. Also, we said it is, remember, it is the book of Revelation, not Revelations, right? I, know I, I get even texts from you guys, love and Revelations. Well, okay, all right, but Revelation, right? Written to the churches in the past, right? But, it, but with a message for the church, past, present, and future. Remember, not written to us, but it is written for us even today, Right? And what I said was last week, uh, two weeks ago, listen, if the Lord tarries another 2,000 years, then he still has a message for the church, a message from the book of Revelation for the church of 4,022. Right? Whenever that time comes, there is a message for the church, past, present, and future. And that's why we asked those questions where we began this series in January. Right? And I hope if you get nothing out, of our time and journey through the New Testament. I hope you really hang on to that, that every time we, we read and study Scripture, we ask those same four questions. What was God saying then? What was He saying in that moment of time in history to that person or that people or that community? What was God saying then? And then question number two. Now, understanding what God was saying at that time, what is God saying to me now, today? Because remember, it can't mean today what it didn't mean then. Right? If, if, if you read the book of Revelation, if it would have made no sense to the church in 90 AD, then likely your interpretation is an error. Right? It can't mean today what it didn't mean then. So we ask, what was God saying then? What's he saying now? And then with that, once we get a grasp on what God was saying then and to me now, now then, what does God want me to know with that information? And ultimately now, what does God want me to do with what I know from his word. So those are our four questions. I hope we hang on to that. It was not just for a series, but that's true each and every time we open and study God's word. Well, then last week we got into the tribulation and millennial views, and I'm certainly not going to hash that out again today, but, but all the different views of when we believe pre, mid, or, or post, those times will come. But we closed our time last week with a great Christmas message on the final judgment, right? That time is coming. And what John saw at that time, what you're going to be reading about in your, in your readings and studies this week, is that he saw in heaven the, the books. And of those books, friends, there is a book of life, the Lamb's book of life, and there is a book of record. And listen, those books, it is far more than what we think of this time of year where it's, you, know, you just got your naughty and nice list. right? It's not just about the, the, the deeds you've done. And by the way, 
as long as we're here. How many parents today, either currently are or certainly in the past have, used Christmas presents, right, for behavior modification for your children? Anybody? Look at those hands. Oh, come on. You kidding me? Now, I'm, hey, I know we're still Baptists, right? But you can raise your hand. Let's be honest. No, nobody uses that for behavior modification. You hadn't threatened your children this, and if you don't do that, if you don't eat this, if you did, then you're not going to get that? Yeah, we do, don't we? We, we? My goodness, we even have a song to back us up on it, don't we? I mean, that, that's how petty and pitiful we are. And I couldn't help but think about that song. Um, making a list, checking it twice. Why? Just to find out who's naughty or nice but then gets personal with it too kids you better know sees you when you're sleeping (laughs) knows if you're awake knows if you've been bad or good you'd be good for goodness sake right like like, we, we, we got the song to back us up and here's a question as i was thinking about that this week is that is that cute or is that creepy you know, I mean, he's watching you when you're sleeping. It's, I, I don't know where you land with that one, right? Now, being naughty or nice, that certainly can affect your gift, right? We, we understand that. It's that time of year. Some of the parents were honest and open enough to, to admit that, right? We do that. We play that game. I shared last year, uh, I believe it was last Christmas, that, you know, one of my great anticipated gifts, when I, when I was young, the Atari came out. Took the word. I had the pong. You know what I mean? And so Atari came out. And I knew that first Christmas, you know, they always bring them out right before Christmas. That first Christmas, they was expensive. Only the rich kids got it then. I didn't, I didn't even ask for it. I didn't want the disappointment, right? Like I just wasn't going to do it. But the next year, you know, prices come down. Everybody's starting to get that thing for birthdays and everything else now, right? And I wanted that. And there was a caveat for me where your GPA has to be this to have that, right? You got to have these grades if you want to have that game system. And the time rolled around, and I didn't have it. I didn't meet the GPA mark. And, and that was pre-Hallmark movie where my parents didn't understand that everybody gets what they wish for on Christmas. That's the way it ends, right? Now, as a kid, I was believing that. I thought, well, surely, right? I mean, I asked for it. I breathe, right? I deserve it, right? I mean, like, surely I'm getting... And I didn't. And I had to wait. And wait. I had to wait multiple years to get... So, so, so I, I, I get that, right? But... When we look to this, when we look at those books, the book of life and the book of record, it is far more than just some naughty or niceness. And yet, I believe that's the way we approach life a lot of times. If I do good enough, surely God will reward me. And if I don't do so bad, then surely God won't punish me. But that's not what this is. What what Revelation teaches us, there, there are two books there, and your name is either found in Christ's book of life or you're of the world. Your name is in the book of record. And for those, you will stand before the great white throne for judgment. And God is a just God. And He will judge accordingly. And it will be that time when, when multitudes of people that stand before that throne and say, Yeah, but Lord, Lord, right? What about, hey, I went to church. Lord, I, I used to sing in that choir. Lord, I worked in the nursery. But Lord, Lord, you remember that time I gave that, I wrote that check? Lord, Lord, you remember when that time when I, I bought dinner for that person? Lord, you remember? You God said, yeah. It's all in that book of record. I remember. But your name is not in the book of life. 
And Jesus, you know it's got to just break his heart. We'll have to say, now, away from me. I never knew you. And that's where we ended last week with that glorifying Christmas message, right? But today, what I want us to do is I want us to look now then for the others, for that eternal reward, not for those who stand before the throne judgment, but for believers. And to do that, let's look at Revelation chapter 21, the first four verses. You can find it in your Bible or open the church app this morning and the text is there. John writes, Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like, like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have all passed away. I want us to look this morning then at John's final vision here. You remember from last week in chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, you're going to be reading that this week. I, I leaned into that last week. But it's, it's at this point now when he sees this, this, final, revelation, this final image, if you will, that the, the curtain is lifted one final time for him. And it's at this point that, that all those who are without a relationship with Jesus, all people, men, women, angels, demons, everyone, all of those whose names are not found in the book of life, they, they are now sent to the eternal lake of fire. And it's in this, this final vision that John sees what he says is the new Jerusalem. He says, I, I saw the, this new city of God descending. It was the, the new Jerusalem. Now, what you have to understand from John's perspective, Jerusalem was the, the holy city of God. It, it was Jerusalem in the Old Testament where the, the temple of God was there and, and where it was destroyed and rebuilt again, right? It was, the, it was there where God's presence was. That, that was in Jerusalem. It was known as the holy city. And even in John's days, people would make these incredible pilgrimages across country, just to, to be there for certain festivals and, and activities like Passover. They, they would do everything they could. They would save all year long so that they could go and make this journey to sojourn there and, and to give at the temple because it was the holy city of God. It was there, you may remember, when, when Jesus was born and still an infant. And Mary and Joseph took him to the temple in Jerusalem. Right? You remember that? To, to present him there. And that crazy old guy, Simeon, that had been hanging around just waiting to see him, remember, he says he, he lifts him up and says, now I can die, right? Obviously, they didn't have safety teams back then because ours would have tackled that dude right there on the spot. You know, some guy just lifts up Jesus and says, now I can die. Are you kidding me? And yet that's what happens. Why? Because he was promised that, that he would behold the Savior. It was Jerusalem that, that, that Jesus entered into for that final time. And Palm Sunday, the, the, the triumphal entry. And it was Jerusalem that was destroyed in 70 A.D. prior to John penning the book of Revelation. And so he sees this and he says, you know what it is? It's a new Jerusalem. It's a new holy city where believers dwell. And he says, so the, the first heaven and the first earth, meaning as we know them today, as John understood them then, it says they, they passed away. They were gone. God just 
wiped them out. They were, they were destroyed. And, it, and it's interesting, as, as he sees this vision, really about the only descriptor he gives us is there was no more sea. And you think of all the things he could have said, John said, there wasn't any water on that New Jerusalem. Now remember, what was his occupation prior to coming to Christ? He was a fisherman, right? This, this joker, he, he, he was used to that. I mean, he saw it, and the first thing that jumped out to him was, there ain't no water, <laughs> right? He said, hey, it, it, it's totally different. And that's the image he gives us today. The, world, the earth's surface is, what, 71% covered in water. He said, and, and this fisherman who, who lived in that region understood that, and he said, I see it coming down, and all I can tell you is, there's no sea there. There's no vast expanse at all. And what he's saying is, listen, what you have to understand, what I saw, it was just totally different. It was something all new, something like, 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 you, like you've never seen before. And that's really about all we know about it. He, he doesn't give us a lot of details. Now, hear me clearly when I say this, all right? Hear me clearly. Listen well. We should be stewards of the earth, all right? God created the earth for us. He, he allowed us to have dominion over the things of this earth, and, and we should be good stewards of the earth while we're here. But the reason that we don't worship her, the earth, is because God is going to uncreate the very world that he created. Why is he going to do that? John, John said it just passed away, obliviated, right? It's gone. Why would God do that? Because of the presence of sin. Remember, God created things and it was good. We're going to get into that in our January series in Genesis, right? But what happened? We, man allowed sin into the world. Sin tainted and it was sin that ultimately really destroyed this world. And God, in order to have his new Jerusalem, says, I've got to wipe it away. It's got to all be gone. And so he's going to do just that. He is going to uncreate the very world that he created. And in doing so, he then will reveal to us this new Jerusalem. I want you to see also, notice what John says, that it was coming down. You know, heaven as we know it today is what? It is up. Right? We know that. In fact, when we began in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, John said this, After I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. He said, I looked in heaven, and there was an open door. You say, how did I know he was looking up? Because he kept talking. He said this, The first voice that I heard speaking to me was like a trumpet. And here's what it said. This is the words of Jesus. Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So we understand when John was receiving these visions of heaven, heaven is up as we know it today. But the new Jerusalem, it's going to descend. It, it is going to come down. And it then will replace our dwelling as we know it today. But he does give us a little bit more information. Notice he says, this new, I don't know about y'all, I've been eating too much country ham. That's one of the best things about Christmas, isn't it? Like country ham. It's better than sausage balls in my opinion. <laughs> I'm so thirsty. I, I tell you what, I, next service, make sure I bring my water up, all right? Um, nothing to do with the message at all. Um, but notice what else he says. This new Jerusalem, prepared like a bride for her groom. I love that. You know why I love that? Because it shows me some things never change. It was the same in John's day as it is in our day today. There is a preparation for the bride. Yeah, there is preparation that, 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 that goes into the bride showing up at that wedding. Right? Totally different from the groom, right? The bride begins preparation the day before. 
Like you're going to the, uh, the salons and everything, getting everything all done and sleeping at night without touching their hair. Like, you know, it's, it is a preparation process. The day of, they're up with the roosters. I don't care if that, that wedding's not until 10 o'clock at night, but they're, they're up and they're doing all the stuff. I don't even know what to call it. You know, they're just doing everything in the mirrors. And it's, 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 a, it's a preparation. The grooms, all they, they get up, go to the golf course, right? And at some point, one of, the, one of the groomsmen says, hey, man, the wedding's in a couple hours. Should we head that way? Well, let's finish the hole out. And yeah, we probably, yeah they show up. Comb their hair. We don't, we don't even tie ties. Clip on ties, the bow ties, right? Like, so that's the extent of it. And show up. Man, no, no preparation for the men. But for the bride, I mean, that, there's preparation. And then you ever notice, like when the groom comes out, nobody, even sit, nobody cares. I, I'm there, right? It's, it's the minister and the groom come out first. We come out, nothing. He showered, shaved, everything, nothing, right? Not, not, nobody even notices. Nobody cares. And then all of a sudden, everybody else kind of sprinkles in. And people care a little bit. And, of course, the, uh, the kid with the ring, ring bearer and the, and, the, and the flower girl, everybody loves that, right? But then the lights change. The music stops. A new song is played. The back door opens and reveals the prepared bride. And, brother, when she steps foot in the room, you stand up. And you watch her the whole way down. And your eyes are on her the whole ceremony. Again, groom's hair could be on fire. Wouldn't nobody notice. Right? Right? But everybody, the eyes are on the bride. I've said before, grooms and weddings are kind of like bathrooms and movie theaters. Right? They're necessary, but nobody goes there to see them. You know, I mean, that's it, right? It really is. Right? And so John says, man, the, the, the prepared bride is the, the, the greatest analogy he can come up with. He said, that's her de- descending. And, and his eyes were on it. We're going to get to that further in a minute to show you how much. But Paul, you may recall, he, he used that metaphor of the church being the bride of Christ. Jesus uh, also referred to himself metaphorically as the bridegroom. Talking about the church. And here, John, using that same metaphor to describe this this prepared, precious, beautiful, perfect New Jerusalem. Now, another interesting thing about weddings, as as Paul kind of leans into that, that they would have understood better in his day than we do today, as John was writing this. Weddings in those days, they they were kind of broken up into three... um, Periods, if you will. You had the, the betrothal period, right, which lasted uh, literally an entire year, right? That, that time where you are betrothed. We, we see that with Mary and Joseph when she becomes pregnant, right? Now, that's not just going steady, you know, Instagram official, you know, those things that we, we talk about. Far more than that, right? Uh, it, it, it is that, that engagement period, and there were a lot of regulations about what you could do and, and couldn't do during that entire time. The reason that it would go an entire year is to prove that the, uh, the bride wasn't pregnant, that they would keep her away from her husband for that entire year. They couldn't be together. They could never be found alone during that time so that she would not be found pregnant and there would be no issues there, which was one of the things that Joseph faced with Mary's pregnancy, the Holy Spirit. And so you have the betrothal period, but then you have the, the presentation or the ceremony, and that would last an entire week. 
Like you think, I mean, we, we do a four-hour wedding and, and people plan. Can you, an entire week of feast. And that, that was the wedding ceremony. And, and, and it culminates in with that ceremony that you are now husband and wife, an entire week. And then finally, then the, the consummation where the two become one flesh. And as you think about that picture of, of, of the wedding, the way that the Jewish people would have seen that, I couldn't help but to think, you know, when you think of God creating the world, and we learn that before the world began, the, the Lamb's book of life was complete. When we understand that, right, we, we see it's kind of like that betrothal period. But then there's the, the ceremony, the, the rapture of the church that we see in Revelation, and then ultimately that consummation where the two become one forever. And that certainly is with the, the New Jerusalem. You know, Jew, Jewish marriages, what you have to understand, they were arranged also in John's day. Right? For that betrothal period, prior to that, there was an arrangement made. Right? If you wanted your uh, son to marry someone else's daughter, then you would have to come up with what is known as the mahar or the, uh, the dowry for that. Right? Some people still refer to that today. But ultimately, it's just a price you're willing to pay for that bride. Right? And, and depending on you know, what your boy looks like, what she looks like, you know, it would vary uh, what was paid out. Kind of like a uh, an insurance policy, a divorce insurance policy, if you will. Today, we just walk away with half. Then it was all in, right? Whatever that dowry was, if there's a change, that family keeps it, right? And it would, it would vary. You know, if she was a beautiful thing, you may, I'll give you my son and 100 sheep and 50 acres of land, you know? Or depending on maybe one of them wasn't the best, you know, one-legged chicken, I, yeah, whatever. But it'd be, you know, so the greater the dowry, the greater the price that was paid, right? It's just, it's just the way it was. But here's the point. A price had to be paid before there could be a ceremony. A price had to be paid to go through the betrothal period so you could come to a place for the ceremony. And then the consummation. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus came. And Jesus came to pay your price. He paid the price on the cross. And what we have learned from Revelation is he's coming back again for that ultimate consummation where two will become one for all of eternity. Notice what it says there in verse 3. It says, uh, he, this loud voice cries out, look, right? Had to get John's attention. Right, he's seeing this coming down, this, this beautiful, prepared like a bride, new Jerusalem with no water. And he's fascinated by it. And you kind of get like this interruption of this loud voice that says, look, right? Hey, hey, man, come back with me, right? And begins to speak to him. Even John couldn't, couldn't believe his eyes. And remember, as we read Revelation, what it is, it's John describing the indescribable, right? But, but not only that, what, what he's describing is often just unfathomable. He's a, a world without water. You know, it's just, just unfathomable. And, and so what John was trying to do is the same thing we do as, as we read Revelation is we're trying to understand and believe the unbelievable. It's, I just, how can that be? How, how is this possible? I was thinking through in my study, you know, um, my grandparents have been gone for a long time with the Lord. If I had told them when I was young, hey, when I get older, every, nearly everybody in America, 16 years and up, going to have their own phone, own phone number. That phone won't even have a cord on it. In fact, that phone will fit in their pocket. In fact, not only will that thing fit in their pocket and not have a cord on it, they can push a button, tell it to call somebody, it'll do it. 
In fact, not only that, they can tell it to turn the lights on in their house. It'll do that too. In fact, you know what, Mamma and Papa, you tell it, hey, start my car. It'll do that too. If I had told them that, would they have believed me? Or would they have put me into an institution? <laughs> Unbel no, you're crazy. You have lost your mind. John's like, it's unbelievable. I, I can't comprehend what God is doing for us. But it goes even farther. Verse 3 says, God's dwelling is with humanity. And He will live with them. God's dwelling, that word, that Greek word, skene, to, to tabernacle, the, the place of abode, the, the, of abode. God is going to, to tabernacle with you. He, he's not just going to be, but man, we're going to be in fellowship with him. That's what it's going to be like. And notice this too. Did you see that? They will be his peoples. Do you see the plural there, peoples? Why is that? Why, why don't they, they, they will be his people? But no, it says peoples. Why? Because it's actually referencing the nations. All peoples, all tongues, all tribes. Heaven isn't homogenous. It don't look like far too many Southern Baptist churches today, and I'm sorry to say, the nations are, are gathered in heaven. I, I love that. The, the, the peoples are gathered there, and they will all be with him. You say, man, Richard, what will heaven be like? I don't know, but I know this. I'll be with God when I get there. I don't know. But God's going to dwell with us. First Thessalonians, remember we said we, we will always be with the Lord forever. In the Old Testament, God instructed man, do you remember, to, to make a temple for his presence so, so he could dwell there. And then it was limited to certain priests at a certain time of the year that could even go into that place to be close to him. With the advent of Jesus, then we understand that God incarnate, God dwelt with man for, for just a short time, a short lifespan. And then following Jesus' ascension to heaven, God gave us the Holy Spirit, that deposit, that treasure in our, in our jar of clay that we looked at, what, to, to, to be our guide on earth. In Revelation, we see where the time will come when God will dwell forever with all believers in the perfect world that He created. God with us. That's the story. God with us. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for the people of God. In the New Testament, God had a people for the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwelt in us, right? God lives in us through the Holy Spirit. But in the New Jerusalem, John says, we're just going to be together. God is with us. Verse 4 then says where, where God is present. I want you to see that. Pain, fear, sadness, suffering, they're gone. Where God is present, those things are absent. They're just not there. You know, Christmas season, maybe it's your first time to celebrate without a loved one. Or maybe it's been several years, but, but each year is difficult. And believe me, I understand. And what I want to say, I know for me that you know, when you get those times and you just, all you can think about what someone else is missing I so quickly turn my thoughts to, to what John has said, what Paul has taught us that, no, I, I want to think about what I'm missing. Believers are tabernacle. They are dwelling with God. We have to look at, at a manger and a Christmas tree to be reminded of lights and give out pre presents to be reminded of God's greatest gift to us. But our loved ones who are believers who are with Him, they're there. <laughs> they're with Christ.
I love the fact that you know, the Bible doesn't teach that what happens is as believers leave, as believers go to heaven, the world just gets so jacked up that eventually God just says, I'll forget it, gives it to Satan. No. In fact, God kicks them all out. He wipes the world clean of all evil and then recreates a perfect place for believers. It's in this new Jerusalem that the lion and the lamb will dwell together as they did in the beginning. What will it look like? I don't know, but we'll be with God. What will it be like? I don't know, but I can tell you this. In the zoo, there's no fences. You can go to petting, uh, petting zoos and, and, and pet the lions and the tigers and the leopards. and The lion and lamb will be together. There will be no sin. I'm out of time. I'm over time. I'm over time. Terry, where am I at? I, I, I am just a little bit. Let's close with this. Let's close where we began this very series. Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 18. The birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together in their betrothal period that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her then secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what she has conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. God is with us. You ever wonder why they translated that? Because this wasn't just a Jewish right. The Jews understood what Emmanuel means. It means God with us. They translated it for the Gentiles. Because God is with all believers. That's what heaven is. God's dwelling with all believers. Now, God dwelling with man blew the minds of the Jewish people. They didn't understand. They wouldn't even repeat his name. They wouldn't say the name of God out loud. The idea that we would live together was just mind-blowing for them. And yet, friends, that's the story of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, God with us. In the beginning, God was with Adam and Eve in the garden before they sinned. God was with the Israelites on the great exodus by a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke to lead them and guide them. God dwelt in the temple for that time. God gave His Son, Jesus, to, to dwell with us. God, when Jesus left, gave the Holy Spirit to be with us. And ultimately, He will give us the new Jerusalem where we will be together forever. In fact, when you think about the Bible, it really it ends and begins the same way. God built a perfect world to dwell with man. And He's going to do that again forever. And everything in between is just him trying to reconcile that relationship. You know, we, we celebrate a lot of things at Christmas. We're going to eat a bunch of stuff. We're going to share a bunch of presents. We're going to travel like crazy. All these great things. Friends, don't forget. The greatest story of Christmas is God with us. Jesus was God's gift to you. And the Bible ends telling you this. He's coming back again. And friends, that's reason to celebrate. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, you gave 
everything to us. You gave everything for us. God, I pray in this Christmas season that we would give our hearts, our lives, ourselves to you. If there's anyone here today who doesn't truly understand that concept of what Christmas is all about because they've never received your gift of salvation, I pray today would be the day they do just that. It's in Jesus' name we pray.